Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and drag and family. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing that we cannot get off of our minds. And today you've got me, Daisy Rosario, senior supervising producer of audio here at Slate. And today I'll be talking to Mrs. Kasha Davis, a drag queen who just appeared on RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars season eight, and who has been a big part of popularizing drag queen story hour. My name is Mrs. Kasha Davis, and I'm an alcoholic. Wrong meeting. <laughs> oh, bitch. She looks good. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. <laughs> what are you wearing? <laughs> My name is Mrs. Kasha Davis, international celebrity housewife. I'm best known for being the workhorse, being the sweet one. Yay! And the famous catchphrase, there's always time for a cocktail. But these days, I'm having a mocktail, as it were, because I'm coming up on seven years sober. Ah, I actually know where I am right now. Now, you probably know that drag is under attack. What started with the far right has made its way to the mainstream as states like Florida and Tennessee enact bans on drag shows in general. But it is drag queens reading to children, often at libraries, that draws the most ire. Now, while drag is obviously most associated with the LGBTQ community, drag itself is an art that plays with questions and challenges our notions of gender. So I thought it would be good to have a conversation about this on The Waves. Mrs. Kasha Davis is the drag persona of Ed Popel, 54, from Rochester, New York. The character is very intentionally a 60s-era housewife, a tribute to many real women that he knew growing up. And Ed, who I will refer to as Mrs. Kasha Davis for the rest of this episode, is himself very happily married and a stepfather to two through that marriage. With her family in tow, Mrs. Kasha Davis has been working to open people up to one of the many versions of what a happy queer family can look like. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I will be joined by the hilarious and kind Mrs. Kasha Davis. Hey, Waves listeners, if you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's about how Barbie went from underdog to icon. Our producer, Shayna, really, really went the extra mile for that one. And I think it's so fun. You have to check it out. So check out the Waves wherever you get your podcasts. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Waves. I'm Daisy Rosario, and I'm joined now by Mrs. Kasha Davis. Kasha, welcome. Oh, my God on a wheel. Thank you. You are an international drag queen, and one of the places listeners might know you from is RuPaul's Drag Race. You were on season seven, and you just were on season eight of All Stars. And as part of All Stars, contestants do a one-minute talent portion, right? There's a there's a talent show. And you have what might be my favorite talent in a very, very long time. It's me, Mrs. Kasha Davis, international celebrity housewife. There's always time for a breakdown. <laughs> How much time can we take before we're pushed and we break? People are dying, Mother Nature is crying, and so many fools love hate. Don't call me old, I've heard it. If you think I'm done, you're wrong. I have a light and I'll shine it. You don't like what I do? Mm-hmm. Open our eyes, the world is at war. The picture is big, let's rip off our wig. I'm mad. I'm mad. This talent inspiration came from your life, your work with Drag Story Hour, which is where drag queens read books to kids. Tell us more about that. Absolutely. First and foremost, thank you for having me and thank you for your kindness. As you know, we live in a time where we have social media and the fringe, as I like to call it, conservatives or loud people will say, have so much to say about a lot of different things. And it was important to me to try to include as much as possible within this song and within this talent regarding story hour about racism, about Uh, women's rights, and the things that are just absurd, like the fact that we have more and more shootings in schools and nothing is being done about it. It's absurd. And Mrs. Kasha Davis, as you mentioned, is an international celebrity housewife. And so I started to put this idea together of breaking down these things that have made me mad and that I know that have made many people that I know mad and then breaking down the conversation, because I think we need more conversation to get to the result. And if you watch the music video that we've created, the result is treating each other with kindness. Work hard and be kind were my parents' words. Give more and help others. Is that so absurd? Look in your eyes before your day starts. Love who you are and follow your heart. Remember, Eddie, there's always time for kindness. That's all. You know, the best thing you could do sometimes is to treat somebody else with kindness and have the respect to potentially realize that maybe this isn't for you, say, Drag Story Hour. Or maybe you just don't understand something. So instead of hating, maybe learn more about it and and simply have more conversations versus this screaming. So all of that in a minute, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's that was the, the order. And mm-hmm. I, I feel very proud of it. <laughs> so obviously drag story hours, you know, they they happen around the country. They are being 
attacked, like both physically and in the laws and things like that. I'm from New York City. Drag Story Hour is something that I definitely had seen around for a while. I remember being excited for the first couple of times I even saw that it was happening. As you mentioned, you know, a lot of what we're seeing happen right now, it's very reactionary. I mean, a lot of this was happening before whoever decided to start targeting drag queens specifically lately. But I'm curious, like, how did you get involved in Drag Story Hour? Drag Story Hour for me is a passion uh, beyond more than I would have expected. I started doing Drag Story Hour about seven years ago, and Mary Tabali Hoffman, who is uh, the director of Blackfriars Theater locally, and Danny Hoskins, they approached me and said, there's a queen doing Drag Story Hour in San Francisco. We think it would be great for you to do this at our theater. And I said, Yes. You know, I love kids. Mr. Davis and I met and and he had two darling daughters and it was a dream come true for me to have children and it was perfect. And I thought, wow, this is an opportunity to take something that I love, which is performing and drag and provide the world, children of all ages, with something that wasn't there for me when I was a child. And to give those children who might feel different and those parents who might say, oh my gosh, I, I don't know how to navigate this direction my child is going in with hope. Because that's what wasn't there. When I was a child, it was more about, uh, oh my gosh, the people on television that were maybe potentially more feminine and, and, as a male, they were light in the loafers. Right. <laughs> they were fairy. Yeah. They were, you know, mm-hmm. and, it was, and it was a comedic. It was always comedy. And that's fine, but there were there were no examples of people living these happy, healthy, queer lives, and it was important for me to be able to to be that for the future. And it's been incredible. And so the the journey started about seven years ago, and we did live story hours. And when I think about the kids looking up, being so excited and so happy, and they say, "Oh, that's Mrs. Kasha Davis, and she likes to read books, and she lives at the theater." And the kids, you know, that's it. That's what they expect, and that's what they know. And one time, a, a, a young lad came up to me, and he was like, oh, you're not really a girl. And I said, you figured it out. And then for the rest of the day, he was my helper. And the, and the fact of the matter is, when I look around the room, I see the parents connecting and the grandparents connecting as much as the kids. And our mission is to treat people who you might see different in the world with kindness. It's that simple. The version that you do didn't just stay in the theater, though. You started also telling stories on YouTube. Hello. Hello, hello. Hello, and thanks so much. Hadoo, hadoo, hadoo. That's right. It's me, Mrs. Kasha Davis, coming to you live. Long distance. (laughs) From our basement, where we bring you Storytime Live with MKD every Wednesday at 4 and Sunday at noon. I'm here in my fabulous pink dress for our Storytime number 54. And Mr. Davis, of course, is on technology. And I just love all the messages we're getting. My goodness, we just get so many that it makes me smile. Sing along if you know the words. Wherever you may go. Oh, yes. Well, thanks to Mrs. COVID. So COVID happened, and of course, we couldn't do live shows. And 
and I thought, well, I'm clearly not going to be doing drag. And then my husband turned to me and he said, well, why aren't you going live and doing story hour? And I was like, well, what a great idea. I've got nothing, literally, as we all know, I have nothing else to do. And so he's working from home. And I thought, well, how about every Wednesday and Sunday, I get myself all gussied up and I get on social media. And that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to make live content. And I, this is something I'm passionate about. Well, I started getting messages from all around the world of people saying that they were looking forward to watching. And then he would post them on YouTube. And we did over 100 story hours. And what was great, it was a family project because our oldest daughter is a librarian. So she would suggest books. And sometimes the books were on topic about fear. And we were going through that period of time where we were all wondering what the heck is happening. And so I know, I know that children of all ages were watching. I say children of all ages, but it's just a fun way of saying people were watching together. And uh, what a better thing to do that to sit there with your, your child as a grandparent or a parent and, and to watch somebody being themselves and to talk about, you can be anything, you can be who you are, and you can be loved. And, and the messages in children's books are for all of us. We're meeting kids where they are, and to put all these other things on top of it is, you know, is really projecting on the part of those people. And it is. And, and for one of the things that mo- makes me most frustrated is I understand that people might want to have a difference of opinion and everyone has that right. But when I think about people protesting on the way into a story hour, I think to myself, now you're concerned about what's happening in the story hour that you've never sat through, but instead you're going to create fear by yelling at hateful things as parents are bringing their children in for what's meant to be just a fun half an hour or an hour of dancing and singing and and reading a book about kindness. So really, who is the one that really is influencing those children negatively at that point? Especially since these protesters often don't know anything about what's happening. And I'll tell you, uh, in the seven years that uh, we had been doing our live story hours, we did have two people protest. And it was fine. It wasn't too bad. But more recently, in one of the suburbs of Rochester, there was a a drag queen of color, and there was a trans queen, and there was a major protest. And the town decided that they were going to impose fees for security. And I said to the media, and I'll say it again, that was more about race and our trans brothers and sisters than it was about drag. And... That is why it's so important for me and for all of us to continue to do what we're doing because you're trying to mirror it behind something else is what you're doing. I think one of the things that, you know, we're seeing so much too is obviously people talking about how sexual it all is. Look, there are versions of drag, obviously, in the evening uh, that can get, you know, pretty silly (laughs) and pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, of course. Even in general, I think like for me, part of what is so fun and interesting and has always been really just liberating about watching any kind of drag is that it feels like it's kind of making fun of all of it in a good way. It's not sexualizing parts necessarily. It's kind of like, isn't it wild that we all have parts? Like they're so <laughs> bizarre. Like it's, yes. it's kind of the best vibe I can, I can describe from some of my favorite shows I've seen. What I have been saying more recently is that we're realizing now that drag is an art form. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't necessarily come for all of music or all of theater 
And what's happening is we're saying drag is all bad and is all over-sexualized. And of course it isn't. And just like music isn't, just like theater isn't, right? And so there are comedians in the past, like for instance, I think of Robin Williams with Aladdin. The content that was made for the movie was acceptable for kids, but you wouldn't necessarily have your kids watch their evening show. We're talking about how cocaine basically affects you. There's also something called freebasing. It's not free. It costs you your house. It should be called home basing. <laughs> Here's a little warning sign if you have a cocaine problem. First of all, if you come home to your house, you have no furniture and your cat's going, I'm out of here, prick. Warning. So when you look at it that way, and it's like, oh, of course not. Yes, there are certain performers also that have zero interest in entertaining kids and their performances are in no way, shape or form meant or even have any interest in presenting it to children. So I think that's the thing that I like to bring up is that to just overstate the fact that drag in general is a crime is, 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 is frustrating. It's a double standard. Now, I would love to talk a little bit more about like your drag in particular. You're Mr. Mrs. Kasha Davis, and you always make sure to pronounce the Mrs. <laughs> to emphasize the Mrs. because you are a married a married lady. She's a married lady. Um, Mrs. Kasha Davis is a is a housewife specifically, and I would love to hear. Um, you know, please tell our, our audience a little bit about kind of how you came to Mrs. Kasha Davis. Well, much like the idea of seeing something with regard to story hour that wasn't there when I was a child, Mrs. Kasha Davis came prior to marriage equality. And it was a celebration of the relationship of myself and Mr. Davis, the actual husband, Stephen Levins. And he and I have been together for 20 years. And the joke on stage is 20 years, 10 legal, three happy, and all the rest is yet to come. No, but the bottom line is I remember as a kid, Mr. and Mrs. C from Happy Days, the Ropers, George and Wheezy, the Jeffersons, you know, this married couple that was going, and Lucy uh, and Ricky, you know, these married couples that were going through life's day in uh, and day out struggles together. And so I always wanted Mrs. Kasha Davis to be a nod to the retro, such as the Lucille Balls and the Ethel Mertz and the Endora from um, Bewitched. And so all of that little bit nod to the retro, but also this couple. And basically putting out onto the stage what I had been dreaming for myself personally as Ed. And then lo and behold, marriage equality came and it became fun to continue to show this example of a happy, healthy, married couple, uh, both as a drag queen and her husband, as well as two men who are married and have children and are looking forward to grandchildren, as an example of a possibility of a relationship that wasn't there for me when I was a child. Are there women in your life who inspired specific things about your character? Oh, yes, of course. I laugh because I, I talk about them so much and it brings me joy. My mom, who's passed, she passed early in life and uh, at 64. And I say that's early because I'm getting up, I get up, getting up there in age. And uh, she was this Italian diva and she had her hair done just so every day. And she had her makeup done for her, the daily. And uh, she was funny and she was glamorous. And uh, she just made me laugh. And I was such a mama's boy. And then 
my grandmother, her mother, she was in vaudeville back in the 1940s and she was a hostess for the shows and she was a whistler. She would go out on stage and she had this band. I'll never forget as a child, she'd show me the photo albums and it would be Mae Miller and her band and she's on stage just <laughs> and I'm like, gosh, they had nothing to do, you know. And so but, they go, but she was gorgeous and I'm looking at my I'm in my makeup and dressing room and I'm looking up on the wall and her dress is hanging there on the wall, one of her dresses. And I remember just being as a kid being like, oh, I want to be just like her. But these Italian ladies just were over the top, uh, glamorous and just dramatic and funny. And so it's, it's paying homage to these women that I loved as a child and that I still get to keep alive as Mrs. Kasha Davis. We're going to take a break here, but if you want to hear more from The Waves on another topic, check out our Slate Plus segment. Every week we have been talking about season two of HBO's And Just Like That. This week we're talking about episode seven of the Sex and the City sequel. If you are a Slate Plus member, we cannot thank you enough. Your support means we get to keep bringing you amazing content. If you're not a Slate Plus member, please consider supporting the show by joining. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no hitting the paywall on the Slate site, and bonus content of shows like this one, along with Slow Burn, Slate Money, and more. To learn more, go to slate.com forward slash the waves plus. Welcome back to The Waves. I am talking to the irrepressible Mrs. Kasha Davis. One of the things that I love about your story is just, I guess I would put it this way, like you kind of changed careers. You really pivoted. You really leaned into being Mrs. Kasha Davis when you did. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that was like for you and and how that came about? My entrance into a full-time drag career came very late in my life. I, I don't know about very late, but late. My initial career was I worked for 18 years as the director of a call center called Dial America, telemarketing, uh, facility management, encouraging people on how to do sales techniques and managing hundreds of people. And I loved it because what I got out of that was that I was helping others see something more for themselves because oftentimes in the call center world, it was we were hiring part-time, we were hiring underemployed people who maybe have not had a lot of work experience and or a lot of professional work experience. And maybe they were in more um, maybe retail jobs or in restaurant, uh, fast food jobs. So they would come into this and we would teach them the skills that they can then take and build. And that was so much fun for me because I loved that. Fast forward to the drag experience. I'm doing it part-time because there's this fire inside of me of the desire of being on stage that I couldn't put out. So I would perform on occasion on Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Sundays, and it would be, of course, drag hours. So it was late. So it never interfered with my work. Well, Pandora Box gets cast on RuPaul's Drag Race, and then I begin the audition process because I figure if she can get on, I can get on. It's not an insult. It's more of a matter of, I know this person. We, we know each other. It's just, this is, I know her skill set. It's a possibility. And when that opened up, I began to dream. And uh, I would audition, and it wasn't happening. And lo and behold, my mother was ill, and she was passing away. And she, at one point, held my hand and said, what have I done with my life? And I thought, oh, 
I don't need to be in a position. I mean, life can be very short. I was hit straight in the head with that. And um, so I get cast and I am now in the process of getting a lot of work. And Mr. Davis was like, look, Steve, my husband says, I think this is a possibility for you to do full time. Let's take it month to month and year to year and see how it's been. And, And we've been building ever since. And I love to tell that story because I think it's very important for people out there who are listening, no matter what interview I might be doing, that they realize that their dreams are still possible, no matter what age. Because we put a timestamp. How often I'll get the opportunity to do cameo messages for people's birthdays or whatever, and they're saying, I'm turning 30, my life is over. What? You know, I'm working on 53. And I feel like I'm just getting started. These ideas that, that, you get to a certain age and you can no longer follow your dreams. You can no longer be uh, who you want to be. You could no longer make changes. That's not true. I like thinking about it too, just kind of as you're telling me that I'm thinking to myself, well, you've created this beautiful character that is this housewife, you know, paying tribute to these women. I think a lot of women who were housewives would have loved to have had a husband who was as supportive as Mr. Davis <laughs> saying, go, you know, try your dream, like go pursue it. Well, it's a good point that you bring up because some people will say, and it was brought up in Workhorse Queen, the documentary where, uh, you know, this is an oppressed term, this work, this um, housewife. And uh, the idea that, you know, you're kept at home and to do the cooking and the cleaning and, the, and this. And so my mother specifically fought my father tooth and nail on the fact I'm not just the housewife. And she began this career of selling Avon. And then she ended up being a district manager for Avon. So she had this whole territory and she would do all of this motivational work for these women who were housewives and told them they can make money and they can contribute to the family. She wasn't in entertainment, but she fought the stereotype and so that in, that is part of the inspiration for me to celebrate it and show that you can, much like Lucy did in I Love Lucy, she was always trying to get up on the stage and she eventually did. And the same idea is that it's, it's possible to be both. I would love to know, how does Mr. Davis like to be part of the act, as it were? What's it like for them to, you know, be known as Mr. Davis? Oh my gosh. Well, he loves it. Let me tell you something. When we first started, it was a, it, the idea we both had was, oh, Mr. Davis could sort of be like, I forget which television show, but you know how you never really see the neighbor. You just see like the top of their head or over the fence. Oh, yeah. On home improvement. Yeah. Home improvement. So we thought, oh, that might be a good idea. And then, you know, my husband, Steve, is he's a lead singer and he was a lead singer in a band, many bands. And he was on stage and, he, you know, he's a ham too. And so maybe not as much. But he's definitely, there's no Mrs. Davis without Mr. Davis, because he is the other half of the, the business aspect of it. And it is, it is essentially running a, a business. It's your own business, your own brand, your own merchandising, your own persona that you want to put out on social media. And so he's always been so fiercely supportive. And I'm so, I've been so very lucky because he's, he excels in where, places where I don't. When we go, if we travel, we were in uh, New York City, we were in Times Square, and somebody was like, Mr. Davis, Mr. Davis. Well, then he has to tell everybody. Every, you know, they knew who I was, (laughs) but he does enjoy it. And he enjoys the message that we are giving out as a couple. And I love that people see him being so supportive. I mean, he will march down the, the pink carpet at DragCon with me. 
in a matching shirt to my to my dress and i and i'm thrilled because the me- the media normally picks it up and uh they look forward to seeing what we wear together and to me it's the american dream and it's a same sex couple and i'm just so proud to be able to show that that's a possibility you know i do i do really enjoy in general that your drag is a family affair and not just because Mr. Davis helps you, but you know, I loved hearing that your daughter is a is a librarian. You were mentioning that you have two children through your marriage, so both you and your husband had been married to women earlier in your lives, correct? Yes, we were, and it was something that we bonded with uh, because we both came from a time where we felt in our small towns that you had to stay in the closet, and we weren't very accepting of ourselves, and we ended up marrying and loving the women that we were with. And then at both of us, not knowing each other, uh, we can both relate to the f- fact that it was obviously not fair to these women and it was not fair to ourselves. And we, we went through that period of divorce and, and devastating the wives and, and uh, our families and, uh, and that sad coming out period and, but then that rebirth of just being true to ourselves and the lesson that he was able to teach his daughters and that we were able to uh, grow as a family has been just incredible because his ex-wife and I, we didn't click for a while, but now we're a strong family unit. And we we are going to be celebrating uh, with our son-in-law. His birthday is this week and we all get together. We go to dinner and and she was so kind to invite me when our youngest uh, just recently got married in last October, and she had me with with her to help pick out the wedding gown. She didn't need to do that, but that's what can happen with patience and, and kindness and understanding. No matter what happens, we realize that we're stronger together as a family when we, when we look to try to um, be kind and, uh, and understand one another versus that period of time when it was not. And uh, my, my ex-wife has, has since passed away, but I'm such an open book. I, I like to do this. And some people will say, why do you share so much? Well, because I don't want to see people have to go through some of the dark times that I went through. I would be remiss if I didn't say some of those dark times were because of that divorce and because of, it's just, I was so upset with myself that I, I was struggling with alcohol and I'm now eight years sober. Congratulations. Thank you. I work on that one day at a time and I'm, I, I bring it up in interviews because again, that's the opportunity to talk about the possibility that it can happen. I think that is one of the things I've, I really enjoy about your work in general. I mean, just even as you're describing this, it is very clear that this whole endeavor is a family affair, which I feel like, you know, is obviously also very opposite to the narrative that is trying to be pushed that some uh, bad actors are trying to push about not just drag as an art form, but queer people in general. And so I really feel like you can see kind of where these inspirations tie together and how you have come to this message in this moment, particularly, you know, with your breakdown uh, song. Even as you're describing it, I still was like, oh, this just feels so specific to now. And you're literally living an existence that people want to say doesn't exist or isn't possible. I look at it as the goal to to be as open and honest as, as possible about my struggles as much as my wins and to share the journey that we've gone on 
as a family and as a sober person and as a person who uh, grew up <laughs> in a time in the 70s and 80s where things were different and now we're where we are. And I think that there's one ultimate goal, hope. And I think that sometimes people can get clouded by this negative spin on things that is essentially a pandering for votes. Let's be honest. Sometimes just clicks. I mean, yeah. Yes. And clicks, right? And so that I believe there are more allies than we think. I think there's more love than we think. And if for whatever reason, your family has any reason to put you aside, we can create family. And that is very, very special. I think that's, that, that is something that is a good, positive message. You can create a family and uh, be there for one another because that's ultimately what we are looking to do. We're looking to be together versus separate. Well, I am thrilled to have gotten to talk to you today. Thank you so much for making the time. I appreciate it. We will, of course, link to Mrs. Kasha Davis's work on our website. But thank you again, Mrs. Kasha Davis, for coming on the waves. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to coming back again soon. That's our show for this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. That's me. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We would love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different host, different topic, same time and place. Hey there, we're going to be talking about And Just Like That, episode seven for this plus segment. And you can bet there will be spoilers. You have been warned. Welcome to The Waves. This is our And Just Like That recap, episode seven, The Return of Aiden. I'm Shana Roth, senior producer at Slate. And I'm Luke Winky. I'm a staff writer at Slate. Every week, we're recapping the latest of season two of HBO's Sex in the City sequel series. The fashion, the quips, the WTF moments. And Luke, this is your second time on the show. It's great to have you back. I, I'm shocked I was invited back, honestly. I, I couldn't wait to have you on, especially for this episode. I know you're an Aiden fan. Uh, and I think this might be maybe the best episode of the series so far. But let's kind of backtrack a little bit. How have you been enjoying and just like that season two overall? I think it's better than season one. because I do actually kind of enjoy how they are at least in conversation with how weird season one was. I think the chase stuff has been more compelling with them kind of acknowledging the fraughtness of, of, of Chase, getting kind of meta about Chase place and like in the, in the show's legacy in general, Aiden returning and uh, some of the ominous stuff towards the end, which might be a little bit ham fisted, but I'm just sort I'm super curious to know what's going to happen with, with R2. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think Charlotte's been delightful and funny. I think we're back on track. You know, I, I, I don't think I, I don't know if Sex of the City, any, anything in Sex City can be truly we're not talking like Botticelli's here. But uh, I, I do think we are uh, we're getting we're getting a little more artful in, in with within just like that season two than than season one. Yeah. And I think one of the things I've been noticing is that 
while I initially was very intrigued by the idea of Samantha coming back, I really felt her not being there in season one. This season, the longer we've gone on, I know that it's kind of lingering out there that she's going to come back for some sort of cameo. I almost have hit the point where I'm like, I don't need it. It'll be cool. But like, I, I'm not feeling the longing for Samantha that I was in season one. Totally. Yeah. It, it feels like with the set of characters they have here, I, I feel like we could just kind of keep going with this setup for, you know, a couple more seasons. You know, I just feel like they have some interesting arcs going. It doesn't it doesn't feel quite as epilogue as I think we were all expecting it to once we heard that there is a Samantha cameo on the horizon and an aid in return and things of that nature. I, I just I am enjoying hanging out with these guys. I'm feeling excited about hanging out with them for as long as they want to do it, which is not something I could could have said during the dog days of like mid-season one. Well, let's get into the latest episode of And Just Like That. We're going to do 60-second recaps. And since I've made so many people do these before, I'm now doing the 60-second recaps. And I will start the clock right now. Okay, this is, I think, the best episode so far. Miranda is single and she is ready to mingle. She clearly has a type, a strong, assertive woman. But also, I noticed performers, she's like really into women who are like up on stages. And it was very much a Che Redux when she sees the author doing like the Jane Austen, not the, when she sees that the woman doing like the Jane Austen thing. Anyway. She goes on a date. It goes horribly. Uh, Aiden responds to Carrie's email and they have a Valentine's date. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, speaking of Valentine's, Naya is alone and she's making herself a souffle. And I love this journey for her. Um, we get an Anthony arc. Drew Barrymore loves hot fellas bread and he needs someone to deliver it. And long story short, Charlotte finds him a dude with a giant penis and it's a whole thing. But he had to fire a bunch of them because they were doing steroids. Of course they were. Lisa Todd Wexley has issues with her son's girlfriend. Charlotte becomes a stage mom. Rock quits modeling. She also has a, Charlotte has a weed brownie and Che has to Airbnb their apartment and she rescues a dog. And and, and it looks like Aiden's not going to show for the date, but then he does. And that's it. I think the steroid bit is the best gag they've had in the season so far. The steroid bit really got me. Oh my God. I mean, Let's talk about Anthony first, because he <laughs> was such a delight this episode. I always love him as a character. I love it when he and Charlotte get together because Charlotte is so buttoned up and prim and Anthony is just like a wild man. And when he put his foot down saying, no, no one is allowed to be doing steroids that works at Hot Fellas. And then they all left. I was like, what did you think was happening in your store? <laughs> The Hot Fellows arc in general um, was pretty psychedelic. Drew Barrymore loved the bread basket I sent over, and she thinks it would be fun to have me and a Hot Fellow on for Valentine's Day. Which one of you delivered the basket? Me. Uh, that better be insulin. It's HGH. My calves are underperforming. I mean, look at these guys. Nope. Uh-uh. This is in the Moscow Olympics. I run a clean business. Hang up your onesie and go. <laughs> Serious? It's a morning show. Orange juice and juice heads do not go together. Hey, just to be clear, no one doing human growth hormone can be a hot fella. Welcome, okay. yeah. I'm going to the gym. Leave the uniforms. I, I was kind of blown away by the whole deal. I, I was not expecting uh, this to be where we're headed with Anthony. 
That was just some of our Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, go to slate.com slash the waves plus to become a Slate Plus member today. Slate.com slash the waves plus.